Well, good morning, church. Your Bibles will not open to Daniel today. It will open to Proverbs. We'll be looking at this in a moment. I read that back in the spring, uh, many years ago now, that there, that Burger King took out a nationwide full-page ad in U.S. Today and introduced the first ever left-handed Whopper. Left-handed Whopper. In order to cater to their 1.4 million left-handed daily customers, the fast food chain rotated all the condiments 180 degrees to suit the left-handed burger connoisseurs. What this did was redistribute the weight of the sandwich so that the bulk of the condiments would skew to the left, thereby reducing the amount of lettuce and other toppings from spilling out of the right side of the burger. Jim Watkins, Senior Vice President for Marketing, was quoted as saying that the new left-handed Whopper was the ultimate have-it-your-way for our left-handed customers. Well, the next day, as you can imagine, thousands of left-handed people went in to claim and try the newly designed burger, only to find out that it was a Whopper of an April Fool's joke. (laughs) Now, I wonder that the the thought never occurred to them that the sandwich is basically a circle. I guess that never crossed their minds. And many of the Burger King stores were thrown into chaos because they were not prepared to deal with disappointed, in some cases, angry customers. Have you ever fallen for an April Fool's joke or some other practical joke? You, you, You feel rather foolish, don't you? And while it's pretty harmless, really, to fall for an April Fool's joke, being a real fool is no laughing matter. In a world in which it's challenging to know what to believe and what not to believe, there is so much that we can fall for. What is it that we need to help us think straight in a crooked world? What is necessary for learning how God's world works? Wisdom, wisdom, a wisdom that works. And that introduces a new sermon series in the book of Proverbs. Now in the book of Proverbs, the wise is set in contrast to the fool. And as uh, we'll see, wisdom that Proverbs speaks of uh, works because it deals with where we live life in 2021. The wisdom uh, Proverbs provides for us works because it gives us a biblical worldview on the day-to-day realities of life. And its truths are placed on the bottom shelf where we can reach them. You see, God wants us to have these Proverbs. As part of the God-breathed scriptures, he made sure to include these Proverbs. Why? Because God cares not only about the massive truths of our existence, but cares about the nuances that make a difference in our relationships and experiences every day. So that is why God saw it important enough to include such a proverb as Proverbs 27.14, which says, If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Now, all you non-morning people, you get that. My wife often says, you got to bring it down a little bit on on, on the mornings. Actually, she says that throughout the day, but especially in the mornings. Now, 
Why, does, why give us a proverb about a well-intentioned but ill-timed greeting? God cares we know that. He knows that the simple matter of a greeting can backfire and become a people issue. And God says that is worth you knowing. That's wisdom that works. See, God cares how I spend my money. God cares about how I deal with planning. God cares what kind of worker I am. God cares about the finer points in my life in order that I might live skillfully in this ordered world he created. Why? Because we can make such a mess of our lives and our families and our churches and our workplaces and our communities if we are unwise. So in the book of Proverbs, various topics are covered. We examine God's perspective on the company we keep, the side effects of too much booze, keeping a lid on our lips, keeping our cool when we're burning inside, and on and on it goes. See, Proverbs will speak of ants and sloths and dripping faucets and golden rings and a pig's snout. That's really in there. And although Proverbs may use playful language, it is dead serious. So turn with me in your Bibles to the first chapter of Proverbs. And as you're turning there, let me give you an overview of my approach to our time in this book. I am going to spend uh, seven weeks, seven weeks looking at the first nine chapters, and then uh, six weeks on specific topics that are found throughout the rest of the book. I'm just going to hand pick uh, seven topics that Proverbs speaks about uh, from chapters 10 to the end. Now, years ago, um, I read through all of Proverbs more than once at, at one time, categorizing as many of the Proverbs as possible under particular topics. It's, it's not an exhaustive, it wasn't an exhaustive study. As no doubt, I, I might have missed some topics, and I didn't include every single proverb. And if you're interested, you can pick up a copy of that on your way out this morning. It's on the back table. It lists all the topics that I came up with going through Proverbs and the proverb that speaks to that. It kind of gives us some handles. And so I invite you to take one of those on the way out. You want to get it because there's only it's a limited supply. And then there's another limited supply in my office and we can keep going. So I can keep up with you. I can keep up with you. All right. We need to begin. This morning we're going to be looking at the first seven verses of chapter 1. And it really serves as a foundation for the rest of our time in Proverbs. Some of it you're going to kind of take as introductory, but it's very important introduction. Now the three questions that I want to answer this morning. First one is who will benefit from this book? And then secondly, what is wisdom? And then thirdly, how do we get this wisdom? So who will benefit? What is wisdom? And then how do we get this? How do we unlock this wisdom? All right. Uh, first of all, who will benefit from this book? I hope you're there. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the, uh, the, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, let's just stop there because it gives us historical context here. We're told that these are Proverbs of Solomon. God had given Solomon wisdom beyond that of anyone else. He was, uh, it was noted that he was the wisest king ever. And in 1 Kings chapter 4, that speaks of his life, in verse 32, and speaking of Solomon, it says, he spoke 3,000 proverbs. And that begs the question, well, what do those proverbs say? We have the book of Proverbs. 
Now, this is a good time to maybe help with some confusion and address the nature of a proverb. It's been called a short sentence based on long experience. But what is, what is a proverb? Well, when you talk about the literary style of a proverb, you see, a proverb is not a promise to be claimed, but a general truth as to how life works. It's not a promise to be claimed, but a general truth as to how life works. For example, Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to live, live at peace with him. Is this always true? Or Proverbs 22, 6, all parents are hanging on to this one. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he, was old, when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Always? Is that always true? You see, Proverbs are general statements that don't worry about the exceptions. If you live by the exceptions, you are going to invite disaster. You are a fool. But if you live by the God-ordained rules, that is, that, that's wise and, and that wisdom will work for you most of the time. Now, it's also helpful, I believe, to understand a little bit about Hebrew poetry since Proverbs is considered to be one of the poetic books of the Bible. You see, Hebrew poetry is built upon parallelism. It's a balance of one idea with another idea. So, it rhymes ideas rather than uh, sounds. Um, it doesn't rely on cadence or rhyme, uh, but parallel idea. And the beauty of that is that it can be translated in any language, for it doesn't rely on sound. And so, the rhyming of ideas, we're going to see this, is that the second line it often is synonymous with the first line. It helps us to understand it. Or, the second line might be its opposite of the first line. It helps us understand it. Or, it might expand on the first line. It helps us understand it. Or, it might even be a cause and effect. But, it's parallel ideas. Hang on to that. Now, we need to realize, too, that these aren't just nice sayings that you might find in a fortune cookie or some cute sayings you learned growing up, right? Uh, Two wrongs don't make a right. He who hesitates is lost. You heard some of those. Or, or these aren't sayings that you, you, you see and that you're kind of drawn to at a gift, gift store that's kind of has, you know, on, on a plaque or something. You know, something like God creates us from dust, but he didn't intend for us to stay there. I kind of like that one. Or if your spouse doesn't treat you as you deserve, be grateful, right? Be grateful. Or when everything is coming your way, you're probably in the wrong lane. I mean, that's a nice saying, kind of like it's cute. But these aren't just cute sayings. We find in this book that it's something that should go well beyond piquing our interest. They ought to grab our attention for a much greater reason. Because what we have here should not be viewed as simplistic or simply moralistic. God is going after, through Proverbs, deep change within our hearts. He coaches us in the wisdom we need through the com throughout the complicated path of everyday living. And if we pay close attention to what is in this book, we will wise up. And it will keep us from unnecessary pain and hardship. All right, so let's dig in a little bit. Who will benefit from these Proverbs? Who will benefit from these Proverbs? Look at verse 4. Verse 4. These Proverbs were given, it says, for giving prudence 
to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Now, he mentions two groups here, the simple and the young, and I think they both kind of, they're, they're parallel again, and one goes a little bit further than the other. But a simple person, as seen in Proverbs, is the one who is easily enticed. It's, it's one who's naive, tends to fall for everything. Proverbs 14, 15, for example, says, a simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. So what do the simple need? Prudence. Now, prudence isn't, isn't a word we use today. I, I can't help it, but I hear prudence and I think of uh, Dana Carvey's impersonation of George Bush. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent, right? I can't, that's where my mind goes. Or one of the Beatles songs, Dear Prudence, won't you come out to play? Dear Prudence, greet the, the brand new day. That doesn't help us at all to understand prudence. So what is prudence? Well, prudence or prudent is the idea of being shrewd. Now, there's a negative and positive side to this. It can be used for evil if you're shrewd. It can be used for evil. We see that in the case with the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, who is shrewd and knowing what would trip Eve up and use it to bait her and trap her toward evil. Shrewd in the negative sense. But on the flip side, in the positive sense, what we gain from Proverbs is the wisdom to know where the traps are so that we can avoid them. They'll give us warnings, stay away from, flee, run away from this. Run away from this. Bernard Legat is a world-class runner uh, from Kenya. And uh, during the uh, Sydney Olympics, an interviewer asked him how his country produces so many great distance runners, right? It's a good question. And with clever wit, Legat told of the African strategy for motivating success in running. He said, it's the road signs that say, beware of lions. <laughs> so they're running. They're running from the lions. That's prudence. It can, give a, it can, give, it can be given to the simple so we can see the traps, prepare for it, and run from it. Run from it rather than towards it. And without prudence, without wisdom, you're going to fall for traps every time. We need it. Now Solomon further explains the simple by referring to them as the young. Uh, the simple are those who fall for anything because they lack experience. They're young. And they're, they're naive, they're gullible. But the young, uh, what do they need? They need knowledge and discretion, it tells us here. See, no one's born wise. We, we, we come into this world untrained and unwise. We must be taught true knowledge. We must be taught discretion. Parents, hope you're teaching your children discretion. I mean, do you, do you know, do you need the wisdom that can spot the difference between an attractive option that is harmful and the pleasing voice that calls you to that place of peace and safety? If so, then this book is for you. Young people... Simple. But there's another group that Solomon mentions that can benefit from this book. Notice verse 5. Verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. So you may have walked with God for years, but you have not attained everything. A wise person knows that. A wise person is not one who has it all figured out, but knows he doesn't have it all figured out, and he keeps pressing on. Keep learning. Keep growing. As has been said, you stop learning today, you'll stop growing tomorrow. Are you learning? Are you learning? 
A little boy returned home from his very first day of school. Well, how was school, the mom asked. Well, it wasn't that bad, he replied. And then she pressed, and she said, well, did the teacher give you, give you any to- homework for your class tomorrow, for school tomorrow? And he looked at her with disbelief and said, tomorrow? I have to go back to school tomorrow? <laughs> he thought it was one and done. Don't you wish? Little did he know, he was in it for many more years of learning. And the truth is, church, we never stop learning. That is if you want to add to it. It is if we want to be wise. And you know what? If we want to have wisdom, then we need to listen more and talk less. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. Some are growing older but not wiser because they're answering without truly listening. And it says here, let the wise listen, then you'll add to your learning. Are you listening? Are you simple, young, consider yourself wise or somewhere in between? This book is for you. There's something for everyone in this book. That's who benefits from this book. All right, I need to go to the second question is what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Let's try and define this in a very practical way. And we get some help here because in these verses, synonyms are piled one onto another to show us the vastness of wisdom. It helps us define wisdom by seeing these other words it uses for wisdom with parallel ideas. And there are nine words here that add something to our understanding of wisdom. I'm just going to choose four of the nine because I I just want you to stay with me to the end. And the four uh, that we're going to look at are the ones most used throughout the book of Proverbs. All right, the first word is discipline. Discipline. That helps us understand what wisdom is. Verse 4 says that these Proverbs are for attaining wisdom and discipline. See, discipline speaks of that painful process of gathering wisdom over time. That you're working at it over time. That it takes a while to get to it. After a concert, a fan rushed up to the famed violinist Fritz Kreisler and, and gushed, I'd give my whole life to play as beautifully as you do. The great violinist replied, I did. I did. See, Wisdom's not going to just drop in our laps. We've got to discipline ourselves for it. And we gain wisdom as we learn through painful experiences, as we discipline ourselves for those. There's a, there's a cartoon that shows this car that goes off the road, and in the first frame, it's just kind of balancing. This car's balancing precariously over the edge of a cliff. And then... It says underneath it, the embarrassed husband behind the wheel looks at his wife sitting next to him and says meekly, honey, there's got to be a lesson here somewhere, (laughs) right? There's got to be. I mean, when you're in a situation, there's got to be. Well, often discovering wisdom is not without the pain of making mistakes and having to start again. But just because you go through difficult circumstances doesn't mean you are automatically any wiser for it. Do you learn from those experiences? Can you admit when it, where it went wrong so you can correct it? You see, wisdom has a lot to do with disciplining your life so you learn from rather than repeat your mistakes. That's discipline. All right, that's the first word. It helps us understand wisdom. What is wisdom? Second word, understanding. 
understanding. Verse 2 says, for understanding words of insight. Now that word understanding is used over 60 times in the book of Proverbs. And it's, understanding is the ability to look at the heart of an issue and discern the differences at stake and the choices being weighed. When the, when the Wright brothers flew their airplane for the first time around 1903, somewhere in there, they knew it would take off. How were they so sure that this thing was going to take off? Well, they had built a wind tunnel where they tested different wing designs before they risked their necks in actual flight. And I thought, that's, that's, that's understanding. That's, that's understanding gained from a proverb. We can explore a real-life situation within the virtual reality of a proverb. We have to say, oh, I'm going to go out and try it myself and see how it works. We don't have to live life that way. We can go, no, it tells us right here what it's going to end up. Let's learn from that. Let's have an understanding of that. Where we can know in advance what's going to fly, what's going to crash. Because we're given Proverbs that tell us. Well, the third word helps us understand what wisdom is. Verses 3 and 4. I already touched on this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But verse 3, it says, These Proverbs were given for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to the simple. Prudence, third word. Now, you may be intelligent. You may excel in music or engineering or in communication. You, you may be able to run an organization. You may do what you do well. But if you don't gain insight into God's created, ordered design, then you will habitually find yourself making choices that lead to disaster. Wisdom that works anticipates the mistakes, the traps, the dangers, and then keeps from stepping into them. That's prudence. Are you prudent? Discipline, understanding, prudence. Fourth cinnamon, last one we're going to look at of what is wisdom is the word knowledge. When we unlock the wisdom in this book, we find the knowledge of God that makes us wise. It is our very life. Now, knowledge is, is, is more than just head knowledge. It, it's not speaking of intelligence. It's knowing what to do with what we know that's really living. That's the knowledge that it speaks of. Now, there's an organization, I believe it's called Mensa, that, whose members have an IQ of 140 or higher. Well, a few years ago, there was a convention in San Francisco with all these just brilliant minds and uh, the story's told that several of the members of this intelligent group of, of, of IQ of 140 or higher, they went to this local cafe to eat. And when they were sitting there dining, they discovered that their salt shaker contained pepper and that their pepper shaker was full of salt. So they asked the question, how could they swap the contents of the bottle, bottles here without spilling and using only the implements at hand at our table? Well, clearly this was a job for the smart ones. The group debated, they presented all kinds of ideas, and they finally came up with a brilliant solution involving a napkin, a straw, and an empty saucer. They called the waitress over to dazzle her with their solution. Ma'am, they said, we couldn't help but notice that the pepper shaker contains salt and the salt shaker contains... Oh, interrupted the waitress. Sorry about that. And she unscrewed the caps of both bottles and switched them. That's it. That's pretty simple. 
Now, I'm not mocking intelligence. Okay, I am a little bit. But the point to be made is that there's a marked difference between intelligence and skillful living. The Bible makes a very clear distinction between mental brilliance and spiritual folly. When the Bible speaks of a fool, and Proverbs speaks of a fool, it's not referring to one who's mentally or intellectually deficient, but one who is morally defiant. That's why it's possible to have brilliant atheists who have a heap of knowledge, but are fools because all of their knowledge is not tied to a God, the God, the Creator, not tied to a relationship with God. It isn't that they don't know anything. But they deny the reality of God and they view things through lens absence, absent of God. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. Wisdom takes the knowledge that we have and applies it to our situation. See, knowing isn't enough. It's knowing what to do with what we know. That's wisdom. Someone put it this way to distinguish between knowledge and wisdom. He said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. I kind of like that. There's the difference. Are you learning how to take what you know and apply it to your life? I don't care how much head knowledge you have. Do you not take that knowledge and apply it to life? That's wisdom. So I hope you see the critical nature of wisdom here. If you have love, but not wisdom, you might tolerate wrong behavior. If you have courage, but not wisdom, you could put yourself in compromising situations. If you have truth, but not wisdom, you might push people away. If you have competency, but not wisdom, you may be efficient, but not effective. If you have knowledge, but not wisdom, you might impress but you will not impact others. You'll not impact others. The treasure chest of wisdom. All right, how do we unlock this wisdom? Thirdly, how do we get this wisdom? Well, the answer is found in verse 7. Here's the key that unlocks wisdom. Verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, verse 7 is the heart of Proverbs. It's, it's really, many say, is the theme of the book of Proverbs. The entire book of Proverbs hangs on verse 7. Our entire life hangs on this verse. This verse is the heart of the matter. It's the control center for the whole book. It is the processor that makes the rest of it go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or as, or as Proverbs 9.10 puts it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, knowledge used interchangeably. And so, more than anything else that I've said this morning, I want this to be etched into your mind today, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what's the relationship between fear of the Lord and wisdom? I mean, what, what, what is the fear of the Lord? Big subject. I'm not going to t tackle all of it here, but I think we'll get down to the practical nature of it. See, this is an example, as we ask that question, what does it mean by the fear of the Lord, where the Hebrew poetry is very helpful. As I said, Hebrew poetry is written in parallel lines. The second line helps to clarify the first line. So we have a contrast here in the second line of, uh, of verse 7, of one who does not fear the Lord. 
The second line we see the word despise. Fools despise wisdom. Contrast to fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? Well, what's its opposite? Fools despise wisdom. What kind of person would despise wisdom? Well, those who are too smart for their own good. Or those who who live by the age-old philosophy of I think, therefore I am. It's to build reality outward from yourself. That you are the center point rather than God. So you despise authority. You despise someone telling you what to do. So think of yourself as as above needing instruction. I'm not going to have God tell me what to do. And you cannot find God's wisdom as long as your heart is proud. We do not wise up by looking inward. We do not wise up by filling our heads with knowledge about God in order to impress or manipulate others. To fear the Lord is to desire to be instructed by God. It is to come humbly before God with a readiness to learn from Him and submit to His will for your life. I want to bring it right down to very, something very practical. Here's a practical test right here of whether or not you fear the Lord. Okay? Here it is. Whenever God's word confronts me on something I need to do and I don't do it, I do not fear the Lord. Whenever uh, I reject the clear counsel of God or someone who gives me counsel of God and I reject that, I do not fear the Lord. And if I'm not fearing the Lord at any point, I am not as wise as I could be. See, fear of the Lord is at the starting place for acquiring wisdom. If we don't start with God, then everything else goes off kilter. That's why the way we think about and respond to God is the most practical thing we do and the most critical in living life. It affects how we view everything else. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when it says beginning of wisdom, it's not beginning in the sense that it's something we start with and then we leave behind. No, it's the idea that it's to be the controlling principle of our life. The fear of the Lord is the foundation for wisdom. It's the essential element of wisdom. It's to be first in importance as well as first in time. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now you don't need to tell someone else that you're wise. Just fear the Lord and others will know you are. So you want to wise up? I want to wise up. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. That is Solomon's summation of it all. Now most of us know what happened to the wisest king who ever lived, the writer of these Proverbs. His life doesn't end so well. He takes a left turn. His heart turned away from the worship of God. Solomon turns his heart to the very things he warns us about in this book, not to turn our hearts toward. His case, wealth and women, but there are other things as well. His worship becomes misplaced and he worships the things of the You see, left to ourselves, left to ourselves, that is what we're all prone to do, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So who can help us? Someone greater than Solomon. 
the one who is the wisdom of God, the one who embodies the wisdom of God. We must turn to the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, it is Christ who saves us from foolish living. We've been changed by the gospel. Why would we ever return to foolish living? See, the only reasonable path it takes is to walk in wisdom and not in foolishness. So if you want to walk in wisdom, not waste your life walking in folly, then come to Christ in complete trust and surrender to him. Let me shut it off. All right, we'll do this. All right. All right, we're good. See, we need to come to Christ in all this. He is greater than Solomon. Scripture speaks of that. That means that that Christ is the only one who can put us in a right relationship with God the Father. Christ is the wise one we need because through Jesus, we can be in a right relationship with God and result of that is continual wisdom. Christ lives in us, and out of that comes his wisdom to guide us wherever we go. As Ray Ortland puts it, wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. And so, church, the call on the front end of this study is choose wisdom over folly. Go hard after wisdom. Search for it. Discover it. It is worth the search And the question is, how far are you willing to go to find wisdom? Back many years ago, a crew of deep sea divers located the treasure of the sunken Spanish uh, galleon. The leader of the crew was a man named Mel Fisher. He and his crew uh, brought to the surface $400 million worth of gold, silver bars, and emeralds by the quart. The total value really was about $4 billion. We go, wow, $4 billion from finding this treasure chest? But listen to the price he paid for such a search. He spent $70 million trying to find that sunken ship over a period of 15 years. Some of his crew even went six years without pay. The treasure hunt even cost Mel Fisher the lives of his son and daughter-in-law who drowned on one of their expeditions. He was willing to pay that kind of price for that treasure. Will we give the same kind of, of effort and commitment to finding the wisdom of God? Are you willing to go deep into the adventurous sea of Proverbs? Because what you will get, church, is far better than anything that Mel Fisher could ever find. I can guarantee you that. Because Proverbs 2, 4, and 5 puts it this way. If you look for wisdom as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Don't you want that? It's going to be quite a search for something far more valuable than any treasure, for it's a wisdom that works. Ready to dig into it? I am. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the start of this study, God, and I just pray that over the summer months that we would not only just gain some um, knowledge of these sayings, but to remember 
They are part of what you included in your scriptures to be useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So may we go after it hard. May we gain the wisdom that you want us to have, not, not worldly wisdom, not, not that we're just wise in our own eyes, but wisdom that comes from you, the fount of wisdom. May you pour that upon us here at EBC. We can live wise lives for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.